Well, good morning to you, and thank you for being with us at Grace Hills today uh, online. And yes, I'm in front of the camera, which means I'm not behind the camera today, or am I? That's the tricks of the trade. Hey, I'm here, and I have the privilege of continuing on in our book of Exodus, God's Way Out, as Pastor Mike has asked me to cover today. I want to begin with a story from years ago as a youth pastor, and I had a junior high camp I had to put together. I was waiting by faith and patience to get into Hume Lake with my junior hires and along with my high schoolers as well, but I had to put this camp together for my junior hires, and so I came up with this camp called California Cruising, and it it is what it sounds like. We camped along and cruised along California's coast. Uh, We camped in Ventura, then we went up to Big Sur, and then we went uh, to uh, Santa Cruz. And on this particular night that we were camping in Santa Cruz, I remember it well. Uh, My junior hires had gone to brush their teeth at about 9.45 because there's supposed to be quiet time at 10 o'clock. And so I was doing my job to try and make that happen. Well, at about 10 o'clock, 10.01, 10.02, kid you not, uh, my junior high guys were hiding behind some bushes And it's pitch black, and they had a mission to scare the girls. And boy, did they ever. And of course, I had no idea this was happening. All of a sudden, you hear this huge, loud shriek of a scream of junior high girls. Yeah, you got the idea. And they're just screaming super loud, and it takes a while from the shutdown. Eventually, they finally quiet down, and all is good, right? And they go into their tent. At about 1030, the sheriff shows up. And I'm thinking, what is he doing here coming into our campsite? I had one campsite here, next campsite over uh, for the size of our group to handle it all. And there was only one other campsite beside us. So the sheriff comes up, says good evening, all that, and gets to his point and says, hey, I got a complaint about your campsite, uh, that, that you're being really loud and, and keeping people awake and all that. And I thought, what do you mean? And we had this discussion. Well, it turns out that the people next to us in their campsite had called the sheriff at literally 10.02, 10.03 p.m., just minutes after quiet time, to complain about my junior hires. And so the next morning, everyone was good. I told, obviously, they saw that they were in bed, and he kind of laughed about it. Well, the next morning, uh, junior hires come out for breakfast, and we're enjoying our breakfast time. And of course, opportunity to tell the story of what had happened. And and I did that, and, and I share it with you today because of this fact. If you go camping, if you've been camping, then you have camp stories, right? You have camp stories that you tell and you remember and you celebrate and reflect on, as I do, as I'm sure those girls and those guys do from that time. Well, today, as we continue our sermon series in the book of Exodus, we're going to join the campground, the campsite where Israel is. And you got it. There might be some complaining going on uh, with them. It's a camp setting that comes with a story about Israel because why stories go with camping. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we went through, uh, we've been through this series in Exodus 14. Uh, Moses, the storyteller, tells about how God had brought Israel through the Red Sea and that they celebrated that and they came to that uh, experience. And that was last week with worship challenges in chapter 15 that Pastor Mike took us through. And so uh, they're in this amazing setting here of celebrating what God had done for them. 
and reflecting on them of rescuing, miraculously rescuing them from the Egyptians. And so what happens is, is Israel is continuing to go camping. They've been in Camp Marah, and now they're going to go to Camp Elam, and that's where they find them. And so this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16, and I'm calling today's message Camp Wilderness. Camp Wilderness, there's a reason for it, uh, and it's found in, in this passage. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible, there's one of the things that you can do. You can pause the video and grab it, okay? So Exodus 16, let's look at verse 1 to set this up. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. The campground of Elam had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. In other words, it's a pretty nice campground to be camping in. But like my junior high California cruising trip, it's time to pick up the tents, Pack up and move on to the next place. And that's what they're going to do. Until they come to this place, the desert of sin or the desert of wilderness. You see, the word sin that's used in here is not the word sin that we think of, and and rightly so, of sin is doing something offensive or wrong against God through disobedience. Sin or seem, as it's actually pronounced in the Hebrew, simply means wilderness. And that's where they are I'm calling it Camp Wilderness. That's where they're going to hang out here for 40 years. Camp Wilderness, 40 years is where they're camping. And since crossing the Red Sea, Israel has had plenty of food and water. Uh, They've had what we would call the essentials. We're a little bit more familiar with that word right now, right? Getting our essentials, making sure we have our essentials. So they've had their essentials. And while food and water and shelter are essentials for a living, they are, They are not what's most essential. And what's most essential is a relationship with God. It's knowing God. It's having a relationship that lasts for eternity. When you turn your life over to Christ, ask forgiveness of your sins, and ask him to come and be the Lord of your life. That's what's most essential. And that's what it is also for the Israelites And so while camping in the wilderness, the Israelites were going to learn about their God. And that's kind of a subject of a main idea here I wanted to share with you and walk through as we go through this text. They're going to camp in this wilderness for 40 years. And as they do, they're going to learn about their God. They're going to learn about the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God who never changes, who is faithful, who is gracious, who is loving. They're going to learn about this God, their God, in all new ways. Ways that they've never known Yahweh before living in Camp Wilderness. So Israel has approximately 2.4 million people. That's when it says the Israelite community or the whole assembly, depending upon whatever translation you're using. There's 2.4 million people at this time. Which begs the question, or at least in my mind, how are they doing in their campground? How are things going at the campsite? Well, let's look at verse 2. In the desert, remember it's the camp wilderness, the wilderness is where they are, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. (laughs) That's how they're doing. They're grumbling, they're complaining to Moses and to Aaron. So why is there grumbling and complaining in the campground? I want to submit to you, it's not because of some junior high guys scaring some junior high girls. No, it's much more serious than that. 
In the minds of the Israelites, they believe that they're going to die of starvation. That's why they're grumbling. Look at verse 3 of Exodus chapter 16. It says this. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. I mean, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> there you go. That's where the grumbling is coming from. You know, it's interesting. Never mind the slave labor that they endured. Never mind the bondage. Never mind the ruthless uh, rule of Pharaoh. It's interesting that they have selective hearing. I don't know if you have that or have that like I do, but we sometimes have selective hearing. We look back to the past and we only remember the good things. In reality, it's not as good as it actually was. Well, that's the case for them. And it's interesting because the older generation, their request to die at the hand of the Lord, that's actually going to happen to them before they uh, exit out of this campground. Um, the old saying, uh, be careful what you ask for, well, they might have uh, wanted to think about that before they asked that and said those words. And I don't know if you noticed this, but the Israelites blamed Moses and Aaron for their predicament. They blamed them for what was going on. And that is just amazing to me, because if you look back literally a month or two before this, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, we read this. And the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. This is after they came through the Sea of uh, the Red Sea. The people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They put their trust in Moses, their servant. And so what's interesting is we're going to see as we go through this text, Moses and Aaron's reply to their grumbling, to the Israelites complaining. But for now, you've got to pull some what the camp setting is like. What if you were to walk in on this campground, how, how they're responding, what they're thinking, what they're processing. And so as I said, this camp setting will last 40 years. And in this time, they're going to learn about their God. They're going to learn about Yahweh. And so in Exodus 16, what I want to do in the time I have with you today is we're going to look at five lessons. Five lessons as I stood out and looked at this text and went through it. Five lessons that Israel learned about their God. Five lessons that I think are applicable to you and to me. So let's look at these. So for the Israelites, over the course of 40 years, that's how long they're in this campground, Camp Wilderness, Camp Sin, Israel learned this. The first lesson is this. God knows all of our needs and graciously provides for them. God knows all of our needs and graciously provides for them. For Israel, they need food. They need something like that. And God is going to provide that for them. In verse 4, the very beginning of it, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. God is going to provide. The Israelites have come to this place, and they're going to know about carbohydrates, right? They're going to know about bread. And this is what they write about it, or what Moses recorded in verse 31 about this bread. So Moses, uh, see verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. 
Sounds like a delicious snack food to me. That's what God has provided for them. If you jump over to Numbers 11, Moses writes that uh, book too, and that's more of a commentary. Uh, There's other facts and, and things we can learn about Israel in there. But in Numbers 11, we get more detail about how they baked, how they boiled, uh, maybe how they fried. I don't know how they cared for and prepared this manna, this bread that God has given to them. And, um, and particularly verses 7 to 9 talks about that. Also in Numbers 11, verse 4 and verse 6, it tells us that Israel wanted more than manna. They wanted something more. Remember that old Wendy's commercial where those ladies would say, where's the beef? Remember that? Well, that's what Israel is basically saying. They want meat. Where's the meat? They want meat. And out of God's amazing grace, again, they are complaining, right? They're complaining. And God is working here to graciously provide for them. Despite their complaining, he's gracious and provides for them. And this is what it's going to look like beyond the bread. He's going to provide them with protein to accompany that. Look at verse 8. This is verses 8 to 18. We get a description here of how this goes, all right? So Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. And then he asks this question, who are we, Moses and Aaron? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. There's their reply to them about this. Verse 9, then Moses said, uh, or told Aaron, say to the Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole assembly community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. They had seen this glory before, the cloud leading them up to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses, verse 11, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, here's the kind of meat it is, that evening quail came and covered the camp And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Numbers talks about how, the book of Numbers talks about how God directed the wind to send in these quail. Verse 14, when the dew was gone, the flakes like the frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Which, by the way, that's what manna is in the Hebrew. It means, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded each of you is to together uh, as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And then when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. So there is God providing for them. He also provides bread. He provides meat. The glory of the Lord. Israel was to focus on the glory of the Lord more than their essentials of bread and meat. God wanted them to do that. That's something that's a phrase that's in there in these verses. Also the word omer. You probably heard that several times. That represents two courts. That's how much that is. And then Israel did what they were told. I I like that because that's a little bit, unfortunately, the exception 
rather than the norm, at least at the beginning as they got started here at this campsite. And I love how it says that they didn't have too much or too little because God is in control here. God is at work in working this out. I love how God provides and knows our needs and graciously provides for them, especially when you're camping. Like the time that I forgot to bring the propane tank and we're about to cook grilled cheese sandwiches and uh, chicken noodle soup on the first night of camp. And I'm going, where's the propane tank? I know this can't be me who forgot to bring the propane tank. Some of my junior hires must be messing around. They took it. Turns out they weren't. My mind was what was messing with me, and I forgot to pack it. Well, God graciously provided us a propane tank so we could eat that night. A little delayed, but God did that. And friends, I just think it's important for us to know that God knows what you need. He knows what you need right now. He knows what you're going to need tomorrow. He knows what you're going to need next year. God knows and God graciously provides it in his time so that as it was said that you will know that it is the Lord who did that. It is the Lord who graciously provides for you out of his graciousness. So that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson that Israel learned over the 40 years about their God. They learned this. God knows what we're thinking, saying, and feeling every day. God knows what we're thinking, saying, and feeling every day. If you go back to verses 2 and 3, we already read this, but just to quickly highlight them. It says this, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In other words, God knew what they were thinking. God knew what they were saying. God knew what they were feeling. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died. If only that had happened to us. If only that had happened back in under the hand of the Egyptians. Well, guess what? God heard that. God heard what they were saying, and Israel, just in case you didn't know or that you forgot, he heard it over and over again. If you look at verses 7, 8, 9, and 11, it says that they grumbled against the Lord. 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 Four times Moses wrote that down. In other words, God knows. God knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're saying. He knows what you're feeling. He knew that about Israel. Oh, and one more thing, Israel. You keep thinking, saying, and feeling Moses is to blame for your campsite? Well, let me address that too. Again, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Because he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were saying. He knew what they were feeling. That Moses, you're the reason. No, no, no. God knows what they're thinking and knows what they need to know. And that it was it, the Lord was the one who had done this. It's interesting as we look at this and think about it. It's that God is saying, I chose your leader. I chose your campsite. By the way, Israel, I chose you. You're my chosen people. In other words, check your thoughts. Check your words. Check your feelings next to the truth, next to reality. That's what I believe he's wanting them to do, which brings me to us as a church. I always want to challenge you to ask yourself, what have you been uh, thinking, saying, feeling during this pandemic? Is, is that something that you've thought about, what your impressions are? We've all had thoughts and feelings and words and things that we've shared about it, and we all have opinions, some stronger than others, but 
I just think it's a reminder to me, if it's just to me, that God knows everything I've thought and said and felt about this time during this pandemic. I also realize that God understands what's going on. And I also need to remember that God is in control of every virus, every pandemic. God is in control of them. So how can we keep our thoughts and words and emotions in check if we're struggling with that? Maybe wondering, God, what are you doing? How come you're doing this? Maybe a complaining, grumbling about what's going on in your life? Well, for me, I went back to 2 Corinthians 10, 5, something that I learned, a member years ago at Hume Lake. It says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, I'm checking my thoughts. I'm checking what my words are. I'm checking how I'm feeling. I'm going, how does that measure up to the counsel of Scripture? Probably I need to look at that and check that on me compared to what Scripture says, which is true and which is right and which is I need to focus on. And I thought, well, how can I increase that? Well, personal time with God, right? A memory verse, Exodus 34, 6, our new verse for the month of June. Uh, Our life groups, ways that we can get into God's word to help us be thinking and saying and feeling what we should be thinking, saying, and feeling before God. Just to have that checked and go, God, how does this measure up according to your word and what pleases you? Well, that's a lesson that Israel learned. Here's a third lesson over the course of 40 years that Israel learned. They learned this. God knows what we need uh, one day of rest every week. God knows we need one day of rest every week. In verse 5, we read this. It goes like this. Verse 5, on the sixth day, they, Israelites, are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. That's what God wants them to do. Why does God give this instruction to Israel? Why is this there? The first of its kind in their history. Well, verses 21 to 26 puts it this way. Here it is. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders in the community uh, came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Okay, so pay attention. This is what the Lord is commanding. There's something here that God's going to tell us about needing a day of rest something that you need. Tomorrow, verse uh, 23, tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in because they had done that and tried that every day at the beginning and discovered that that's what happened. It, it, it rotted away, but not now. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground uh, today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any for you to gather so the six-day creation account in Genesis tells us that God rested on the seventh day, right? We, we know that. The word Sabbath in Hebrew means to cease working or to rest. So God is recognizing out of his mercy, out of his graciousness, again, despite their complaining and grumbling and words, all that's going on, God's going, I want to give you a day of rest. You haven't had that. 
in Egypt, have you? But with me, walking with me, following what I'm going to instruct for you, I'm going to prepare you for what's coming in the Ten Commandments that's coming later on is that you're going to have to remember the Sabbath and honor and keep it holy. You know, for us today, I think it's important for us just to stop and think, well, what day is our Sabbath? It, it's not about the day of the week as much as it is, is that it's a day set aside to rest. To rest. Maybe that includes reflecting on church uh, or, or going to church and, and that type of thing. Maybe, maybe that's for you, your Sabbath. Maybe it's a day that's separate from that. I, I don't know which day is the day that you define as your Sabbath day. But the key of it is, is that it's to be a day of rest. It's a day that you cease work. I like how Pastor Larry Osborne puts it. He says, do your best and then take a nap. Do your best and take a nap. God wants us to rest. And while I don't have time to dive into the Sabbath and all the meanings of it and everything, it's just something that it's a lesson for them. They needed to have time of rest. The same is true for us today. The fourth lesson that Israel learned over that course of the 40 years is this. God knows our faith in his word needs to be tested for our benefit. God knows our faith in his word, our trust in his word, needs to be tested, needs to be uh, 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 checked out, if you will, refined for our benefit, for our benefit. If you look at verse uh, 4, the second part of it, Verse four, um, it says this. In this way, the instructions that God has given about the collecting of the manna, the collecting of the meat, and the, the saving all that for the day of Sabbath, right? In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. So God has a test here that he wants to put them through. The test is an idea of, of a process of determining the nature of one's heart. What's there in their heart? What does that look like? What, how, how is that for us? You know, the, the Bible says that a heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And, and, and so while we are not going to fully know our hearts like God knows our hearts, I, I think we can at least get a clue by our behavior. Our, our clue is we look at God's word and our, our reaction to it. Um, when the Holy Spirit prompts us in a certain way, how we respond to that. And so there's a test here, and it's designed to show the Israelites' imperfection and their faults so that they can be trained by them. They can grow from them, something that we can do as well. So how did Israel do on the test? <laughs> this may not go so well. Verses 19 and 20. Then Moses said uh, to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. That's the manna. However... None of them paid, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. It was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry about that. And then in verse uh, 26, right? 26, that's where I want to go? Yes, where are you, 26? It says, that six days you are uh, to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So this is related to the Sabbath now. Verse 27. Nevertheless, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And then there's a conversation that God has with Moses about how long is this going to go on that I need to find my people not listening, not following my instruction. That's why I'm putting this test for them, for their benefit, 
so that they can see, that they can discover that they didn't fully trust God's word, that they, that they didn't have complete faith in his word. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's a test that's good. It's probably a test we don't want to have to take or be presented to us, like those, some of those tests in school, but it's a good test. Just to see, well, where are you today with God's word? Are you uh, passing that test? Because it's for our benefit so we can learn we can get an education. We can learn. That's one of the benefits that we get as we learn about this. Uh, and, and as I thought about that, I thought back to uh, this camping trip I did with these junior hires. Uh, one of the, the challenges I had for them was uh, is that they would learn how to set up and take down a tent. This was not for my benefit at the beginning of the week because it took a whole lot longer and a whole lot more effort uh, and test my patience for them. So it was, well, maybe there's one sense of it, it was for my benefit, and that's so I could grow there. But it, it took a whole lot longer. It wasn't for my benefit. The benefit was for them. The benefit was so that they could learn and have confidence and learn and work together as a team to build unity and to tear down that tent when it was time to move on to the next campground. They learned how to cook. They learned all kinds of responsibilities. They learned about picking up trash in the campground, and just that way of helping them grow because that was the opportunity to give them a benefit to help them learn for this and to grow. In a similar fashion, I want to just challenge you to think about how are the tests going in your life right now? Do you see them as just tests or do you see them as a way that could benefit you to learn about where you are in your relationship with God right now? To see and say, man, what's my faith? What's my trust like? Have I been closer to God in the past than I am right now? Well, man, that's beneficial for you to check and to know that and go, hey, well, let me explore. God, let me look into your word. Let me pray. Maybe ask people that I, I can entrust in and confide in, saying, well, is there something going on? Do you see something different? It's an opportunity for us to be tested to see for our benefit. That was going on for Israel. It goes on for us today. That's the fourth lesson. Here's the fifth and final lesson. God knows we'll forget what he has done for us. Imagine that, that God knows we'll forget what he has done for us. And so in the final verses of chapter 16 of Exodus, we read this. Verse 32, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come, so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron uh, put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled and they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. It gives us a picture of how this was going to continue on. So what's going on here? Again, God knows that we'll forget what he has done for us. So this instruction that God is giving is a preview, an anticipation of the giving of the law or the testimony as it's written there. Like the Ten Commandments that's coming up later as we go through the book of Exodus. And so this jar that they have of manna that they're to put into it, as was given instruction to do, will be placed in the Ark of the Covenant 
that will be placed in the Holy of Holies, that will be placed in the temple. God is preparing them for generations to come, for them to look and go, oh, that's right. Lest we forget, God did something miraculous. God provided for us for 40 years Manna, six days a week, and he provided quail in the evening. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's graciousness, that God is there. And God says, I think you might forget about this. And so this is a way to help you remember what God has done for you. And so we have this here. And as I thought about that, um, I thought about back again to the camping trip I did with my junior hires. One of the things I took and prepared for them was a little notebook, a little journal. And what I would challenge them to do, obviously, is take notes as we do and listen to sermons and all that. Um, But I wanted them to journal at night. I wanted them to reflect on something fun that they had done that day, something that they'd seen, uh, whatever it was that day on the trip. And then I wanted them to write down something that God taught them, a verse maybe that stood out to them. Because I knew once they get back home and go on with life, they're probably going to forget about that. So this was an opportunity. This was a way for them to remember God worked this way. God provided me this incredible fun day. And God taught me this about him as I studied his word. And so I would challenge to ask you this. What are you doing right now in your life to remember what God has done for you? How are you remembering? How are you helping yourself not to forget how God has been faithful, how God has provided for you? Again, a good question to ask. So over the course of the 40 years, five lessons that we've looked at. God knows our needs and graciously provides for them. God knows what we're thinking, saying, and feeling every day. Number three, God knows we need one day of rest per week. God knows our faith in his word needs to be tested for our benefit. And last, as we just looked at it, God knows we'll forget what he's done for us. So we need to find a way to remember five lessons that we looked at. Well, let me conclude it this way with this question. Now what? Pastor Mike always puts the so what. I I switched one word and put now what. Um, Here's what I want to challenge you to think in the way to respond to that. Now what? The first response to the now what question is this. Life is short. Life is short. And it's been shortened for many across the world because of this pandemic. It's a reminder from Psalm 9010. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. In other words, we have a limited time to learn these lessons. Therefore, the sooner we learn them, and put them into practice of what God is teaching through his word, it's probably going to be a benefit for us. Second, the now what? Second response is this. Since life is short, you have one life, one story to tell, so live it well. Life is short, therefore you have one life, one story to tell. I want to challenge you to live it well. It might sound familiar because I did that in a devotion a few weeks ago on Psalm 90. Because Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, Just part of, for me, I was just processing through, does my life reflect that it's maturing? Does the story of my life 
reflect that it's maturing in these lessons that God wants me to learn and to know about him as I walk with him. You know, um, around the campfire, you have those stories, right? The other place that I think about stories that are told is at a memorial service, right? Or there's a more memorial or a monument that's put up. It's so to help us remember, to help us reflect on what has happened. And I want to remind you that wherever you are right now, your campground of life, there's a story being told about it. And like I said, life is short. You have one life, one story to tell. Live that story well to the honor and glory of God. Because if you do, well, as it's been said sometimes, (laughs) I think you'll find that you'll be a happy camper in walking with God. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these lessons. God, I pray and ask for each one here that's listening today. God, wherever they are, wherever they uh, find themselves in their journey with you, God, I just pray that these lessons would just be good lessons for them to reflect on. And that, God, we are reminded that life is short. We have one life to live, one story to tell, or we want to live it well. And I pray for us as we camp in your kingdom, God, that we might turn out to be happy campers because, God, we have found that the value of obeying your word, of depending upon you greater and more than anything in this world and finding our hope and our security in you. Oh, God, as we continue to camp out in life, may we continue to look to you for your honor and your glory, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.